You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Doug Weaver, president of the American College of Cardiology. It is no longer a question of whether antiplatelet therapy should be used following implantation of a drug-eluting stent, but rather to what extent and to what duration. With this in mind, many new challenges arise from bleeding risks to drug intolerance and product costs. How are we moving to address these concerns? Our guest today is Dr. Peter Berger, an interventional cardiologist and Associate Chief Research Officer and Director of the Center for Clinical Studies at the Geisner Clinic in Central Pennsylvania. Welcome, Dr. Berger. Hi, Doug. Great to be here. What is our current understanding about the risk of subacute thrombosis in drug-eluting stents and bare metal stents? A couple of years ago, there was a lot of press as well as a lot of articles saying that this was a serious risk. Unfortunately, we have to learn more than we currently know, but it appears that for the first 9 or 12 months, the risk for stent thrombosis for drug-eluting stents and bare metal stents appears to be about the same. But following that first year, some estimates indicate that the risk of drug-eluting stent thrombosis is in the range of 0.3 to 0.5% per year, or 3 to 5 per thousand. And some of the data sets suggest that that risk may persist three and four years and perhaps beyond. So we have a lot more to learn, but that's the range of the upper boundary of risk and the duration to which we know it. So currently, what are the package inserts for these stents recommend as far as anticoagulation? It's sort of an embarrassing situation how those package inserts came about. In the trials that led to the approval of the first drug-eluting stents, they was uh, mandated that patients receive three months of dual antiplatelet therapy, and that's usually aspirin and clopidogrel, if it was a serolimus-eluting cipher stent, and six months if it was a paclitaxel eluding taxis stent. But the sad reality is there was already data at that time indicating that longer durations of dual antiplatelet therapy might be beneficial in many circumstances. So in those trials, we know just how many patients received it for the protocol-mandated minimum requirement, but we didn't know how many patients actually continued it for much longer periods of time. So while the package inserts say three or six months, most patients undoubtedly received longer durations, and that's partly how we ended up in the mess that we are. So given the risk of subacute thrombosis and what you've told us, what are your current recommendations or the recommendations of organizations like the American College of Cardiology? Aware of the fact that they did not know what the best answer was, it was nonetheless recommended that dual antiplatelet therapy with aspirin and clopidogrel be administered for a minimum of one year in all patients who receive a drug-eluting stent. And although that sounds like a logical suggestion, I want to make it clear that we do not know that the risk of stent thrombosis at 10 or 11 months is significantly different than the risk at 13 and 14 months. So that was only a general recommendation, and I think it does serve the purpose that interventional cardiologists and other physicians ought not place a drug-eluting stent in patients in whom it is very unlikely they will be able to be on dual antiplatelet therapy for a year. But that should not mislead anyone into thinking that we know that one year of therapy is sufficient. We do not. And the recommendations for bare metal stents, you imply they're much safer. 
It's interesting. First, I think they're only safer for subsequent years. The risk for the first year appears to be about the same. But there it's a little ironic in that we know that while only two to four weeks of dual antiplatelet therapy is what's required to prevent stent thrombosis, there have been two randomized trials indicating that longer durations of dual antiplatelet therapy are better than shorter, not at preventing stent thrombosis, but at preventing thrombotic events elsewhere in the vasculature. So the guidelines even recommend one year of dual antiplatelet therapy in patients who receive a bare metal stent not for stent thrombosis, but for MI and stroke remote from the treatment site. Do we have any information about how compliant patients are with this recommendation for dual therapy? Clopidogrel is a relatively expensive drug, and I believe that some patients have troubles with bleeding and other side effects. Doug, you're so right, and there's so much research going on in those areas. We're finding out almost weekly from another study that fewer patients are taking their prescribed medications than was thought. And it's interesting to me to note that all of these studies often differ from one another on the reason that the patients don't continue the dual antiplatelet therapy as was prescribed. So some studies indicate that cost is one of the largest obstacles. Others point out that physicians don't tell the patients how critically important it is that it be continued. We know that primary care physicians may not have been informed by the interventional cardiologist why the patient needs to be on dual antiplatelet therapy and for how long. So there are lots of reasons that these studies are coming forth with, but they're all indicating that noncompliance is more common than physicians realize and more common than it ought to be. I'd like to ask you some specific problems that might be encountered, and that would be how do you handle the patient who has a drug-eluting stent, is on these therapies, and then either develops atrial fibrillation and may require warfarin, or you're about to implant a stent and these patients on warfarin to begin with? Two very different situations. For the patient who is on warfarin already and for whom there's a strong indication, it's generally worth avoiding placement of a drug-eluting stent. We wrote the first paper on triple Antithrombotic therapy, aspirin, clopidogrel, and warfarin, and no surprise, people bleed more on three such agents than they do on two, and two more than one. So when you get up to aspirin, athenopyridine, and warfarin, you're really running into high bleeding rates. So if you know in advance that the patients are going to be on warfarin, it's generally best to avoid placement of a drug-eluting stent. Now, if the patient's indication for warfarin is, for example, that they're 66 years of age and they have lone AFib, oh, that's a little different. They can probably have their warfarin withheld for at least a year, and the risk of stroke will be really, really small. But if the person, for example, has a tilting disc in the mitral position with atrial fibrillation and can never be off warfarin, except for rare instances, they would always receive a bare metal stent and a short duration of athenopyridine. Now, if the patient develops the indication for warfarin after placement of a stent that requires long treatments of warfarin, we try to keep the INR a little lower than we otherwise might in the 2 to 2.5 range, well aware that the data suggests that we're not as able to do that as we like to. And we always want to give the lowest dose of aspirin possible, a baby aspirin, 81 milligrams a day, non-enteric coated. And often there are some data, although I don't think this rises to the level of proof, but there are data to suggest that the administration of a proton pump inhibitor ought to be 
recommended along with aspirin, zathenopyridine, and warfarin. So warfarin really complicates the treatment regimen. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Doug Weaver. Our guest is Dr. Peter Berger, director of the Geisinger Center for Clinical Studies in Central Pennsylvania. We're discussing the challenges of managing antiplatelet therapy following implantation of a drug-eluting stent. Now, Peter, back to some of the other special situations. How do you handle the patient who needs a dental procedure, a colonoscopy, or possibly orthopedic surgery? Doug, I'm so glad you raised that because that's a terribly important point for the healthcare professionals who aren't implanting these stents. There have been lots of studies indicating that for dental procedures, for bronchoscopy, for endoscopic procedures, for cataract surgery, for routine dermatologic procedures, there are hard data to indicate that dual antiplatelet therapy need not be discontinued, and those procedures can be performed while a patient's taking aspirin and clopidogrel. Depending on the orthopedic procedure and some other more significant procedures, that may not be true. And then there are some procedures, for example, like brain and spinal cord surgery, where absolutely it has to be discontinued. So the first point I'd like to emphasize is that, again, a drug-eluting stent ought not be placed in a patient known to require those procedures, and it's terribly important for the primary care physician to make that known to the interventional cardiologist who may not learn that critically important data in the short amount of time they have with the patient. When the need first arises after the drug-eluting stent is placed, if it's entirely elective surgery, if it's an elective knee or hip replacement, it ought to be deferred, and we think it ought to be deferred at least a year, but absolutely the first six months. We know that for the first several months, the risk of perioperative stent thrombosis is greatest, especially if the, but not only if the patient has to continue one or both of their antiplatelet agents. That is a very important issue you raised, Doug. And what about emergency procedures? We'll say a patient who's a victim of trauma or perhaps they have appendicitis. Are they at greater risk when these things are stopped and do they have to be stopped? We know that they are at greater risk and it's a greater risk even than just stopping the medication. Remember that when you stop the medication, the effect is irreversible. Platelets live about seven to 10 days so that the effects wear off gradually over seven to 10 days. But it's not only that the drugs are wearing off, it's that the events that you just described and the treatment of those events, trauma and surgery, are enormously prothrombotic. Furthermore, a lot of the anesthetics and other medications these patients receive are prothrombotic. So the risk of perioperative stent thrombosis, particularly when the surgery is performed in the months after placement of a drug-eluting stent, are really quite high, and the risk is believed to diminish over time. It gets, we think, under 5% once you can wait six months or so, and it gets even lower, we believe, if you can wait a year. So it sounds like in those kinds of situations, it's good to get an interventional cardiologist involved to help you with the decision-making because it isn't straightforward, and you obviously want to protect the patient as much as you can, as well as advise the surgeon as to what the real risk of drug-eluting stent thrombosis could be. Is that true? The fantastic point. I strongly agree. An anesthesiologist may also have to be involved. And let me just give you one other example. If the drug-eluting stent was placed in a third obtuse marginal branch that's supplying blood to a small portion of the heart, it may be much more important to stop the medications and perform the surgery as rapidly as possible, in contrast to if it's an unprotected left main or left main bifurcation, in which case stent thrombosis will be 
immediately fatal. So yeah, I think that that kind of suggestion is terribly important. Peter, is the risk of a thrombosis the same for all drug-eluting stents, or are there differences? We're learning that there do appear to be differences, but we have a lot more to learn. The studies indicating what I just said are small, but it is looking like, and remains to be proven, but it is looking like the risk may differ for different drug-eluting stents. They may also differ depending on the clinical situation and anatomic characteristics in which they're placed. We've been talking with Dr. Peter Berger about the challenges of managing antiplatelet therapy following implantation of a drug-eluting stent. Dr. Berger, thank you very much for being our guest today. My pleasure. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.